Awareness is a key ingredient in success. If you have it, teach it. If you lack it, seek it. What a great quote by Michael B. Kitson. Welcome to Heal, conversations to guide you toward personal growth and overall well-being. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Heal. I have a super special guest with me today from, I always say this, across the pond. <laughs> you might be my second or third. Um, from another country, David. This is David Delaney. We call him Dave. He is coming to us from Dublin, Ireland, in case people didn't know where Dublin was. Uh, thanks, Dave, for joining me this morning. Pleasure. It's so nice to have you. So Dave and I met, um, let's say, 30 years ago, Dave? <laughs> uh, yes, 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. It might be less, but I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it, was it was a long, long, long time ago. Lifetime my ago. My recollection of you is you liked doing cartwheels. Oh, Jesus. That hasn't happened in a long time. So let's not talk about that. Yeah, I used to be super nimble and fast and quick, but not anymore because I'm 51. So <laughs> things happen. Um, anyways, I learned recently that Dave is into mindfulness and meditation. And so I thought, oh my God, that's so crazy that both of us sort of went that route. And I would love to hear more from him. And I thought he'd be a perfect guest for us here. So Dave, what are you doing now? What, what's, what are you doing with this practice? Well, I think the, the the timing of this conversation is, is interesting because I've just changed roles. So I work for University College Dublin and I was in IT for the last 30 years. Wow. And only two months ago, I have now moved into the student advisory group and I'm the wellness and community projects officer. That's amazing. So it's um, is that a brand yeah, new position nice. there, or is it like something you created? It's a, it was it's just been created, so I'm it's greenfield, so it's kind of experimental. But because I was teaching in UCD myself in my own time at lunch times and after or before work for the last five years, and I run, run a UCD mindfulness group, um, and I also. I, I just completed a master's in mindfulness intervention. Wow. Um, which I did part-time in UCD by night and completed a book called Reclaim Your Past, Reset Your Future, which has just been published. Get out. Let me write that down. Mindful, the Mindful Spark, yeah. Reclaim Your Past, Reset Your Future. So they, they combined those three things to put me in a position to be able to take advantage of this new role. That's fabulous. I didn't know about the book. Now we're going to have to tell everyone to buy it. So oh, super. Yes, it'd be great to, um, you know, any interest any, uh, would be greatly appreciated. Yeah. Tell me so a just, little. Go ahead. It's, yeah, it's just called The Mindful Spark. Reclaim your past, reset your future. Okay. And it's on Amazon. Sorry, there's my plug. 
That's okay. I like plugs. That's what we're here for. We're going to help people um, learn different ways to be able to help themselves. So uh, tell me about the master's program that you took. What, what did it involve? Did it, did it just teach you more about mindfulness techniques and strategies? Did it teach you about the brain? What, what was the program like in a nutshell? It was a little more academic than I think a lot of people were expecting, but given that it's a level nine qualification. So it's a, it did involve some neurology, some psychology, some physiology, and then primarily its purpose is to become a MBSR teacher. Oh, I took a course in MBSR during quarantine last year. It was awesome. I liked it. Yeah, it's, it's good. Now, the, the thing about the, like, it's also uh, MBCT as well. Like, once you're, you're, you're um, they prefer to, I think, really have qualified psychologists, psychiatrists teaching the MBCT. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's a very good course. Now, I suppose, in hindsight, I've also studied Kuru, which is a kind of a mindfulness approach for uh, emerging adults or, or, or in particular students. Yeah. And I'm also familiar with some Buddhist and Taoist stuff. And I, I developed my own eight-week course about five years ago. That's unbelievable. Because in UCD, when I was teaching people, a lot of times they might only have 45 minutes at lunchtime. So... MBSR is actually two and a half hours each mm-hmm. class, and then it's an all-day Saturday. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't practical, and it wasn't. In some ways, I find that MBSR is brilliant, but it would be helpful for people to do a precursor to it because it can dive in deep very quickly. That's a lot of time for someone to sit and practice, I think, at at beginning. So and they also want people to do 45 minutes practice every day from the beginning, from day mm-hmm. one. So it's... I like the idea of a precursor course that just give people the tools that if something does come up, if discomfort does arise, that you're a better place to, to manage it. I suppose my analogy that I use is if you're driving at 100 miles an hour down the road and the person in the, in the passenger seat suddenly sheds brake and you slam on the brakes, you know, there's a possibility that you're going to get a shock. Mm-hmm where it's much more helpful to go, let's just slow it down to 80, let's slow it down to 60, let's slow it down to 40, let's slow it down to 20, and then when you're ready, pull over and stop. Mm-hmm. So it's safer, it's more gradual, um, because a lot of people that go to mindfulness classes, they're already time-starved, and they're already very, very busy in their heads. Mm-hmm. And the more that I suppose I've learned about the different mindfulness approaches, meditation approaches, is for a lot of people, and, and I know this from a personal point of view because I started, I, I teach Tai Chi, is I needed a vehicle to help slow me down because mm-hmm. when I sat and was quiet, I thought my head was going to explode. Mm-hmm. I thought it was the most horrible thing ever. So getting back to your question about the, the masters, um, it was very good. It was quite academic. And... There's a lot I'll take from it. Um, and it was two years. So it, 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 it was quite busy and it was quite cognitive. You're in your head a lot of the time. Right. I have, a question. I have a question about that because in my, I think my, my course was, my certification course was 2015. So 
The one thing I think I've noticed, uh, you know, about my mind is that absolutely it's busy, busier than I ever thought it was. But now that I've become more aware of my thoughts, <laughs> I, feel, I'm, I feel like some days, even though I practice, some days there's so many thoughts and I'm just so aware of them that I might be going crazy, like crazy with all the thoughts. I do quite, sure. try to quiet them and let them yeah. go and pass through and I do all of my strategies and techniques, but I'm just so aware of myself analyzing something I just said, thinking about it and then trying to, I don't know. It's just, I feel like I've become more um, thoughtful. And I don't mean that in the way that it sounds. Or maybe more aware. So much more. So much more. And so that, yeah, so the head mightn't be as busy. So the brain is a talking machine. Like its job is to throw up thoughts. And what's interesting is, is like when I'm teaching classes, I do kind of taste, taste their classes. And I, one of the first things I do is I introduce people to their own brain. Mm -hmm. And I would say, well, at the beginning, what's interesting is I usually ask them a few questions. So sort of, I'll say, like, I'm here giving you information. and We're all so getting so much information. We're bombarded all the time. So I like to start and go, is there anything that you could be doing in your own life that could improve it, but you're not doing it? Mm -hmm. So it could be a bit more sleep. It could be a bit more rest. It could be a bit more social interaction. It could be just maybe improving the diet a little bit, cutting back in the coffee or the booze. It could be uh, not getting enough exercise, just not maybe doing practices that, that add to your well-being. Mm -hmm. So, the answer to that is always, mm -hmm. of course, there's things we can do to improve our lives. And I say, well, if that's the case, why aren't you doing them? <laughs> you know, like we often look for people outside of ourselves. We look for external things, but often we're, we can be okay at noticing the questions in us, but we often don't waste a few moments for the answers. No. <laughs> no, which is nice. But then moving into the brain, and this is getting back to your mention of the, the busy mind. When, another question I would ask is, do you think your brain works for you? Does it work against you? Or does it sometimes work for you and sometimes work against you? What do you think? Me? Mm hmm I think it works both. It depends on how we think of it. I think it can work for us if we allow it to. I think it would work against us if we make it. I think that, I think it could do both. I think it's the all the uh, depends on the person. The interesting thing is the brain doesn't care. It doesn't. If you answer it A, B, or C, no, the brain is not concerned with the outcome. Like we, yeah, you're right in that we can use the brain, mm -hmm. but the brain in itself throwing up thoughts. If we have negative thoughts that make us feel stressed or anxious, if the brain doesn't go, oh, no, I'm not going to have those thoughts because that's actually hurting my body. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's stopping me from healing. It just says, well, Dave said he was useless, thinks he was useless last month and last week and yesterday and today. So the brain will try and make the thinking as effective and efficient as possible and go, well, Dave must want to have these thoughts, so let's make it really good. Mm -hmm. being <laughs> so, so that's the first thing is that the brain itself is only a tool 
So the mind is what we, what you can use the brain, but often we get caught up and we, we, we can't separate ourselves from the actual thoughts that come up. Right. And a nice way of doing that, like I've got a Taoist background and the Taoists are great in that they'll just want to go, show me, let's experience it, not words. Do it. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. So a nice way of doing that is if, if you close your eyes, you can try this now. Okay. I'm going to so, listen first and then I, I'll do it. Oh, sure. So it'd be like, okay, so who's in charge, you or your brain? And a nice way to, or an e- a simple way to, to identify that is if we close our eyes and just say, right, for the next 10 seconds, instruct your brain not to give you any thoughts. Okay. You ready? I'm going to close my eyes. And for the next 10 seconds, yeah. will, you, will you keep trying time for me? Three, two, okay. one, go. Okay, relax. Now, I didn't have to go 10 seconds because one second is enough unless we're highly trained. I went we right to my breath. You know what I did? You know, I did that, yeah. right? I just went like, yeah, okay, well, exactly. I can't think. So just breathe. Okay, I'm just going to breathe. Yeah, but you're choosing, to, you're thinking about breathing. <laughs> so no. we all immediately start thinking because the brain throws up thoughts. That's its job. Mm-hmm. And the reality is most of the thoughts we have in our head are not helpful, relevant, or useful in the moment we have no. them. No. So when we start learning that most of the thoughts we have are, are not helpful. We can, we can go, ah, and we lose. We don't prioritize thinking as much because they're mostly useful, but useless. Right. Actually and, worse, it, and it's almost like detaching from the thoughts and just sort of being like, okay, that's a, almost to me, it's labeling. That's just a thought. It's not what is just let it go. Sort of. It's not being concerned with the content. So mm-hmm. even though we know we've a busy mind, we can say, oh, look, there's the brain throwing up thoughts, but we don't, we're not interested in, in what is in the thoughts. And, and uh, um, I know with the labeling, so I use often say, notice if the thought is past, about the past tense, or yeah. is it in the future, yeah. or is it a fantasy, or is it the present? Right. So you might be going, oh, did I remember to rec- press the record button? So you're thinking about the past. <laughs> right. You might go, uh, like oh i gotta edit this later that's the future yep and that could all of go. those thoughts could be going through my mind as we're sitting here trying yeah. to have a nice conversation in the present and and those are the thoughts that i'm constantly aware of and i'm like stop being so what's aware. interesting is if you say stop or resist thoughts that that we resist persist uh-huh but if we say oh that's interesting that's a past the thought you'll notice will just diminish yep and then another one might come up so what can be interesting is going, okay, I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit and feel what it's like for a thought to start happening, but I don't care about the thought. And then I mm-hmm. want to know where, so where does it go? Where does it come from? Where does it go to? You don't actually care about what, what's in the thought, mm-hmm. what the thought is about. And that can be a nice way to start learning to get some separation. Yeah. And it's a, a amazingly helpful in the sense of anxiety and depression. Like it just sort of washes away the worries that we may be having because of our thoughts. Sure. And we're not aware of those thoughts yeah. causing that 
worry. The, wear, the wearers, well, the brain is only 2% of the body mass, but it can use up to 25% of the energy. So when we're thinking all the time, and what I do, again, I won't get you to do it, but the next thing I would often do in some of the classes, I'd go, okay, now this time I'm going to get you to close your eyes. And rather than trying not to have thoughts, I want you to keep having thoughts for the next 10, 15 seconds. Now, you mm -hmm. can't make lists or be positive, but I want you to try and have as many random thoughts as possible, but keep having them. And it's a great way of people to suddenly go, oh, my God. Like I sat there for 15, 20 seconds and kept having these thoughts. And God, that's exhausting. Yeah. Because they never noticed before, but it's only when you deliberately do it that you go, wow, that's tiring. And I have but, to say, it's probably tiring and they don't understand why they're so exhausted too, yes. when they're not aware of their thoughts. You know, by the end of the day, we're just wiped out. Um, the, the Taoists, again, would have an interesting approach that they go, don't worry about thinking. What you just do is simply move into your body. Okay, so that's so, the other part of mindfulness that has helped me greatly um, is just to be more aware of my body. Yeah, so what you can what, what, what can be very helpful, particularly bringing people immediately down out of their heads is, you know, the, where you can put up your left hand and you can place your, your right pointer finger at the base of your little finger. And the optimal breathing is probably five seconds in, five seconds out. So you might have heard of box breathing where you can do a pause. Mm -hmm. So five seconds in, five seconds out. And you can actually run your finger up to your pointer finger, up your little finger as you're counting four, five. Have your pointer finger on the top of your little finger, maybe count to four or five, and then bring it down the inside of your finger and make it take five seconds to get to where it meets your hand. Mm -hmm. And you can run through your five fingers. And what that can do is it gives a visual distraction. So there's a visual content, there's a tactile content, mm -hmm. but there's also then the slowing down the breathing, which brings into the, the rest and digest or parasympathetic mode. Mm -hmm. So it occup occupies the brain. So are you interested in neurology at all? Me? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so in neurological terms, the way our brains tend to work is there's lots of different components in the brain. And there's, when we're doing something specific, so say we're concentrating on our breath or we're juggling or we're doing a spreadsheet or we're doing a particular task, certain areas of the brain light up and interact with each other. Right. And that's called the task mode. And there's another area called the default mode. And that's when we tend to have mind wandering. So we're in the past or the future or our fantasy. So we're disconnected. Yep. And what, ha what can happen is, is if we're focused a lot of the time, say all day we're focused, 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 and then we suddenly stop. And a great example is you get into bed, you're exhausted, you're absolutely just fit to collapse. And it's like your brain just turned on. Mm -hmm. that's often your default mode going right we're not doing any tasks now it's my turn yep and what can happen with us is we have it's like a seesaw when one is up the other is down but yep. when we can get them into balance they don't compete against each other and we can nearly have both at the same time and the movement in tai chi yoga in some of the mindfulness practices that's what's 
that's really doing it. It's realigning our brain to not have to pull and drag against the different components. Right. So another nice one is simply if you get your, if you place your right hand out in front of you, and as you're breathing, counting to five, you can bring your wrist up towards the ceiling. So you're raising your, your arm up, but your fingers are pointing to the floor, mm-hmm. counting to five. And then what you're doing is you're pointing your fingers to the ceiling and you're lowering your arm down towards the ground. And again, you're counting to five. Mm-hmm. You're raising your arm and hand up. Wrist first, then the fingers come up, point to the ceiling. So what you're doing is you're, you're doing a physical movement with, which occupies the task mode aspect mm-hmm. of the brain. Mm-hmm. And then you're aligning it with the breathing. So you're using up your mental bandwidth and that will help. So you, don't, you forget about thoughts. Don't worry about, oh, I'm overthinking. So what? I'll do this breathing. I'll do this arm movement. And that that's great. That's Tai Chi. That's Tai Chi. It that is. Like and tai it will, chi. So the Taoist would go, you're thinking too much, right? Just do this. And you go, but do I not have to think about talk, thinking less? No, that's thinking. Mm-hmm. So you do something completely different than thinking. I love that. That's so great. That's yeah. such an easy exercise too. And it's just, and it's boom, immediate. Right. So I, I, um, I did, uh, I created a YouTube channel last year, just me, my iPhone in the back garden. And I was just trying to throw out different videos. So I've got four or five different video sets. And one what, of them. Is what is the YouTube five, channel? So people know that they can go there. Oh, it's called, if you just search for the mindful spark. Oh, okay. Perfect. Yep. And one of the, I have five little videos. They're only four minutes each. Yeah. And it's happiness is in your hands. And I do a little practice where it's like you're scooping water. Yeah. So you get your right hand out in front of you. You scoop. So the palm facing down, it's turning up towards the ceiling. It's turning around towards the ground. You might do that four or five times, but then you can bring your elbow in. So now you're moving your elbow and your hand and you're breathing with your movements. You're breathing very slowly and moving slowly. And then you bring in your shoulder and then you bring in your shoulder blade. And if you do that, it will automatically slow down your thought processes without you having to engage with them at all. I love those. Those are such great strategies and easy. And it's not, I don't want to say scary, but it's not a whole yoga class. If someone feels uncomfortable no. trying yoga for the first time, they can just simply do this movement and breathing. You can literally do it while you're waiting for the kettle or the, the percolator to make your coffee, or <laughs> you can do it while you're washing your teeth. Mm-hmm. So a lot of certainly what I'm trying to do now is integrate things into the day. So you're not giving somebody anything new to do. No, and you're not asking them to take a whole hour out of their day to do something different and new. You're just saying while you're standing there doing a daily task, try this. Yeah. Yeah. So walking is not a beautiful example. I love it. It's my favorite thing. So a nice, a nice technique is anytime you go for a walk, I want you to, all I want you to do is try and notice something you never noticed before. That's it. Easy. That's it. <laughs> and what it does though, is it takes us out of our internal dialogue and it connects us back to the world. Mm-hmm. That's it. So nothing, not complicated. It's not, it's just 
just and even in your own street every day you start noticing new things that you didn't notice before because you're so distracted and not only that i have to say when you do start noticing things that you haven't noticed before and i know the reason why this it makes me feel this way it is because it's taking me out of my head and bringing me to the present and the more i try to do that i feel so at peace yeah. Just, just noticing things on my walk every morning. And usually the things that I, I actually do this practice, every time I go for a walk, I try to notice the um, na- uh, animals out in nature because there's birds. There are birds everywhere. There's different birds and there are chipmunks and there's squirrels, bunnies. I've even seen deer. And I, I'm just, I stop and I'm just like, this is amazing. The, the more I notice, the more I'm, the more I see. I don't know how to explain it, but yeah, but of course, because we're, fi- we're filtered all the time. So our, right. what we take in is only tiny. Uh, because our brain is so resource intensive, that right. the brain only tries to take in anything that's new. And it links, it's linked with our memory because it, then we interpret what we're seeing. Right. But when we can do even that, noticing something new, like even say, I'm going to notice animals is a specific action, but even being open and going, I'm just going to notice. Yep. There's an even greater level of disconnect from the thinking and into the being. Yeah. And I have to say during those walks, I have these great uh, ideas and thoughts that come from, I feel like I'm, they come from somewhere else. And I often act on those ideas and thoughts and I just, it's, fabulous my whole book came to me and during a walk but you know just the idea of it and i wouldn't have gotten i I didn't know have you written the book as well well during the pandemic i did a lot of things super (laughs) i I wrote i'm writing it's almost done yes so i love it when people write books i'm like oh yeah now i have to Read it. <laughs> the interesting thing is, it, like, creativity lies on the edge of boredom. Yeah. So, but so, my creativity comes when I'm walking. It's crazy. I, I just. But it's not because when we're busy, you know that default mode I was talking about, where the task we're doing things all the time. Mm-hmm. I feel like my brain was empty, clear, open. Yeah. You know, exactly. receiving. So in neurological terms, again, it's the right hemisphere or the mm-hmm. openness mm-hmm. kicks in. So where the left is more logical, there's a great book by um, Ian McGilchrist called The Master and Its Emissary. And he goes into the different aspects of the how the right and left hemisphere work. But to be creative, we need you can't be busy. If you're go, 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 I have to do this, I have to do that. There isn't an opportunity to be creative. No. So it's so important to do and also to rest those parts of our brains. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Rest and and integrate. That's what I always say. Like, yeah, use what you learned or use what you live with it It, for a bit. It's interesting how with the kind of five pillars of well-being, one of them would be, say, sleep and rest, Mm -hmm. how we seem to drive ourselves so hard all day and then we're, we're exhausted at night time. Mm-hmm. But yet, if we can do things, a couple of things during the day to reset our energy levels and stress levels, 
we actually don't get as tired. We don't get as stressed. We don't we'll need as much sleep. sleep and our sleep uh, is, is great. No, but we'll actually sleep better and longer yeah. Yeah. because it's not. I, it, I find it, that I don't need as much sleep. I'm actually rested. And when I, when I meditate more. I, I heard a lovely phrase once from an Indian guy and I can't recall his name, but he said, sleep is like unconscious meditation. But meditation is like conscious sleep. Mm -hmm. And again, neurologically, when they, when they scan the brains, they notice that we'll, meditators tend to go into an alpha state, mm -hmm. which is, is the state just prior to sleep. Mm -hmm. So we're going into the heal. We're going into the replenish the body. We're going into the, the digest and immune system and all that. So it's, yeah, it's... And when you, learn the, when you learn those things, don't you just shake your head and say, I can't believe people aren't doing this every day. It's just the easiest kind of easiest thing that you could be doing. Yeah, but yeah, we're habitual creatures. So it's how do we break our historical habits? Right. And the brain also likes what it knows. That's right. <laughs> and even if that's unpleasant, it's like the devil you know is better than the devil mm -hmm. you don't. There's a certain amount of, well, this is the way it is. And it's helping to pee people to go. When, when people ask me, why would I, why would I bother meditating? Why would I do mindfulness? And I, I suppose in some ways the answer is because you then have choice. Mm -hmm. And once we have choice, we have a sense of freedom. Mm -hmm. And the more sense of freedom and space we have, the more likely we are to notice in a different way. Mm -hmm. So, we, you know, we all have filters, we all have perceptions. And, uh, you know, some of the, a lot of the contemplative practices would say, like, you, you could get five people to look at a tree, but they'll all see something completely different. So the hunter might look at the tree and know that, try and figure out where's good hiding places or what's hiding in the tree. Mm -hmm. A carpenter will notice how straight lines it is and what what was um uh what furniture could make from it you know the farmer might notice the shelter the hiker might notice whether it'd be a good place to sleep or not you know mm -hmm. so the, the healer might notice what 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 was um uh, what elements the tree has that might help healing but it's it's the one thing but we from our perception and our learned behavior, we see things in a certain way. Right. And the more we can back away and be open, I think in the, in the mindful eating you probably did on the MBS or course, it did where you slow down where you smell it, you're bringing back, you're reconnecting to your senses. Mm -hmm. But a nice thing to do sometimes as well is go, right, here's a raisin in your hand. How did this raisin and what had to happen for this raisin right there's so much that so you're pre starting to appreciate where the raisin came from and the work that was put into the raisin being picked process oh, but not even, like it had to go to the shop so you had to buy it but someone had to invent plastic for it to go into the plastic bag to be sold right. someone had to invent money someone had to invent a tractor to be able to plow the kill the field mm -hmm. but rain had to fall to nurture it 
you know, animal creatures had to had to had to aerate the soil. Mm-hmm. Like when you go into it, it's just staggering. It's really humbling. But it's a nice way again, just helping us to stop and to look at things differently. And appreciate too. Oh, hugely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like, my God, this raisin is in my hand. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. It is a miracle. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. And yeah. the same us us talking here, like you're sitting sitting in the States, I'm sitting in Ireland. Yeah. Oh, what, what an incredible what credible technology. So it's kind of but it's a bit like the brain. It's learning to use these technologies to our benefit. Mm-hmm. You know, so the social media trap of we're all more connected than we ever were, but yet the sense of loneliness is higher than it ever has ever been. Yep. So it's 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 learning to to appreciate what's there, but in a healthy way. That we use it for what we need. That's right. Or want rather than being dragged along by it. <laughs> That's the true. <laughs> That's yeah, right. And so. it's our own, it's our own um, history, background, again, perception um, that we have that takes us to this. I want to talk more about that. I want to talk more about why you got into this field. Um, okay. Because you were in IT, you said, for 30 years. Yeah, yeah. So was there something that happened in your life where you um, started doing Tai Chi or meditating or what happened that um, drew you toward mindfulness and what a life oh. change like what a change you're completely going in a different direction at this point I think I was it was something I was always interested in from a distance mm-hmm. but I wasn't always comfortable with maybe I felt that the groups that were doing it were a bit insular mm-hmm so I was nervous about getting into those also because I think of my own insecurities that I didn't want to project and, and, and get caught up in things. Um, so I think as I got more confident in myself, I'm more comfortable doing it. But I actually, I, I went on a skiing trip in 2000 and I was somebody who would have been in the gym five, six times a week, super fit, Mm -hmm. you know, doing a bit of martial arts, playing the guitar, working hard, going out a lot of the time and go, go, go. And Mm -hmm. I was, I'll be happy when the next thing, the next thing. So I was always pushing myself. But when I came back from the skiing trip and I did, it was my first skiing trip and I did a black run on my fourth day. Um, I would have been just pushing all the time. And I said, I went to the doctor and I said, I feel tired. And he said, eat more fruit and drink more water. And I went home, got into bed and nearly got out seven weeks later. What happened? Uh, they think in the hospital, they thought that uh, something like glandular fever ripped through my system and just emptied me of energy. Yeah. Just totally stripped my mitochondria of energy. So... I mean, I got to the point where I could go and make a sandwich, but then I wouldn't have the energy to eat it. So I'd lie on the kitchen floor and go to sleep for an hour or two. Oh my gosh, I've never heard of such a thing. That's crazy. Oh yeah. Like at times I even to go up one flight of stairs. uh, There were times when I actually slept on the stairs. Oh my goodness. um, Yeah, so I was just completely exhausted, completely drained. And then I ended up with chronic fatigue. Mm -hmm. After it, so 
a bit like having your phone, but not being able to see the charge in the battery. Mm-hmm. You know, it's working fine and then suddenly it's not. Right. So under normal circumstances, the body would start letting you know it's tired, letting you know it's tired, you know, whereas with chronic fatigue, you're absolutely fine. And then you just, you're, you're, you're empty, your battery's yeah. gone, your phone's dead. So that um, so clearly interrupted your life and hugely. Yeah. And it was it's such a brilliant kick in the, in the behind. Isn't that great how that happens? Yeah, there's, there's a lovely, do you know this story of the Taoist farmer? It's sometimes also known as the white horse. I don't know, tell it maybe. So there was a, there was a, a farmer and he had a small plot of land and he had one horse that used to plow his field and transport his goods. And there was a storm and lightning and thunder and the horse got so frightened it broke out of its corral and ran away. And the farmer's neighbor came over to him and knocked on the on the on his door <laughs> oh terrible sorry to hear about that storm worst thing that ever happened to you now your horse has run away you can't plow your fields you can't transport your goods your family will starve oh that's terrible and the farmer was concerned but said mm, we'll see and about three days later didn't the horse come down back from the mountains with another horse Oh, and the neighbor's back knocking on the door. Oh, best thing that ever happened to you that storm now. Two horses, twice as much plowing, twice as much transport. Your family be richer. You're so lucky. And the farmer was delighted, but he said, We'll see. Yeah. And the farmer's son thought it'd be a good idea to break in the horse. So while trying to train the horse, the horse threw him and the son broke his leg. Well, the neighbor's back over. Oh, <laughs> How are you doing? Oh, worst thing, that storm. Now your son's broken his leg and he could be gimpy and if it doesn't heal right, nobody will marry him and you'll be stuck with him forever and he can't help you on the farm. And Oh my goodness. You know, the farmer says, look, I'm concerned, but we'll see. And about a week later, one of the local warlords sent his captains around to conscript all the young men in the villages and they're going to be the vanguard because they're going to war. So they're mm-hmm. probably going to die. And the captain says, I'm taking your son. And he goes, well, you can have him, but he's a broken leg. Yeah. And he goes, oh, he's no good. He can't march, no good. Well, the neighbor's back. Oh, you know, the best thing that ever happened to you is that storm because if you didn't get the horse, your son would now be dead. Oh, you're so lucky. And the farmer finally said, go away and stop calling. (laughs) But the, the, the kind of moral of the story is we constantly judge what's good or bad in our lives yep but instead of just sometimes we don't see. yeah yeah sometimes we don't know the consequences and sometimes something that seems terrible at the time disastrous can actually turn out to be incredibly positive that's right you know, at times we can split up from a partner and we think that, you know, oh, it's just, this is so bad. And then you suddenly you meet somebody and, and, and it's better than, the relationship could be better than it ever could have been. You know, right. so we never know. Like I got sick and it altered how I lived my life. Right. And so I got into Tai Chi and then I, the Tai Chi instructor who I was doing, it turned out to be a, a meditator and had a Monday night class. So I, I been attending that group for the last 20 years right that's amazing you're not the first person on this podcast to say 
you know, this debilitating thing happened. And then I got into Tai Chi, well, meditation, mindfulness, and now my life is completely different. So it's, it's, there can be two types of people. There can be those who are in eightly wise. Mm -hmm. And there are those like me who fall into it and can get dragged sometimes kicking and screaming. But when you do it, you realize that that's always where your life was leading, that you were just fighting and pushing against it. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That's an amazing story. I didn't know that. That's, I can't, I'm glad you're so much better. How is your fatigue now? Is it, are you better? Is your body functioning normally? Is, I mean, that was a long time ago. So how did you get out of it? Through Tai Chi and? Oh, very slowly. And I had a yeah. relapse because I started pushing hard again. You revert back to type. So mm -hmm. a lot of, I suppose, what mindfulness and meditation does is it helps us to see our cycles, mm -hmm. our habitual patterns. And mine just, I went back to pushing. And it took probably 10 years for me to really get a, get a, a grip of it but since then i got a black belt in taekwondo and i've done two masters by night in the last eight years and i've written a book and that's a amazing instructor and <laughs> used the gig in the hard rock cafe um but that's so you, cool what's interesting is i'm still very active but in a different way because yeah. i'm aware that what i was doing in the past was out of driven from maybe insecurity mm -hmm and vulnerability and fear and what well, I should do this. Whereas now I'm trying to go, will this add to the quality of my life? Uh, who am I doing this for? Mm -hmm. Why am I doing it? Where's this drive coming from? Mm -hmm. And that can be an interesting way. So we can do the same activity, but if we understand what's driving us, the effects on our life can be quite different. I have to agree with you hundred percent. Just recently, I've realized that I, not recently, I'd say in the past few years, realized that um, I'm really good at being accountable to other people and I never was accountable to myself. So I was always doing for other people. Like if I had a, you know, as an example, working outside of the home and going to a job where they expect you to be there at the same time every day. And there are people who rely on you to do your job and I can do that really well. <laughs> But then going home and then being accountable to myself and taking care of myself and saying, if you're going, if you'd say you're going to do that, then go do it instead of like, I don't need to do that. You know, I'm just not being true to myself or accountable to myself. And so that's something that I've changed in the past few years too. Yeah, I know. It's just, I think it stems from a lot of childhood crap, but um, I do understand where it came from. But the moment I realized that I, you know, I'm not putting myself, I don't want to say putting myself first, but being accountable to myself, period. You know, if you're going to, well, if you say that you're going to go for a walk today, then get your ass up and go. Um, don't be like, well, you know, I'm just going to stay here and sit down. It's easier. I'm not hurting anyone. <laughs> like I'm not breaking a promise to anyone. Those, those, yeah. Those sub, they're not really conscious thoughts, but that's what I became more aware of that, yes, you are breaking a promise to the most important person in your life yourself. A softer and kinder approach because our language is very interesting. Yeah. So you use the word accountable. But in some ways, that's kind of a control element. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, how about changing that to? 
compassionate, kinder, considerate. Yes. To yes, yourself. that's what I am. I actually have come to the, that uh, every night when I do my, my afternoon meditation, I have to say probably out of seven days, probably five of those days are more of a compassion kindness toward myself meditation. So I'm, am more compassionate to myself. And when I say accountable, it's more yeah. like you promised yourself this. So do it like, just, you know, be true. If you're going to say yeah. like, if, if Brittany were here and I would say to Brittany, you know, my daughter or one of my good friends or anybody, I'll be there tomorrow at 10. Well, I'm going to be there tomorrow at 10 to do whatever, yeah. you know, but for me, it was never doing that for myself. So that's just a switch that a way of thinking. That... It, it can be interesting that we're all stressed out. Yeah. So pretty much, unless you're consciously trying to go into the rest and digest, feed and breathe parasympathetic part of the brain, probably 90, 90, high 90% of people are stressed. So we all have concerns, worries, we have financial relationship, emotional, physical, uh, economic, spiritual stressors. Mm -hmm. and you know even having to pay bills or whatever so there's always an underlying level of stress mm -hmm. and what's interesting is is now moving to how do we reset the the autonomic nervous system to get into that rest and digest place where these things become more natural to, for self-care that mm -hmm. it's not something we have to do it's just something that happens mm -hmm. and I've I uh I started taking the cold having a cold shower at the end of my shower mm -hmm. when I realized that what it actually was doing in some ways was putting me into a stress state mm -hmm. but then once I turned it off then I could step out of the shower or turn it off so therefore it, the body would go into the rest and digest feed and breathe state and my body was resetting itself Mm -hmm. to go into a homeostasis mm -hmm. and it's really interesting to how do we reset those stress levels where when we do come home we're not just collapsing right we're not just flopping in and what's interesting is we think that that's relaxation but like <laughs> we could be sitting watching the tv and they're not a bit relaxed if, nope. if they scan our the brain yeah we're still in the stressed sympathetic uh side of the brain mm -hmm. so it's it's consciously i think nowadays we have to reset and an interesting thing i've been doing with people is when i notice they're lethargic or tired or in themselves a little bit maybe down it's not doing the slow breathing it's actually doing dynamic breathing mm -hmm. it's actually getting them to and, and this can be very good when we're feeling Feeling tired or where we're low energy is actually just breathing it just in and out fast we, yeah yeah but if we also add our our, our if we bend our elbows like a chicken <laughs> and flap the arms with the breath but if you stand and you also bend your knees and your arms at the same time you're getting your heart going mm -hmm. you're getting the breathing going yeah what god is doing it it's it's activating the stress part of our body but the the flapping the arms and the bending the legs is actually simulating running away. It's simulating flight. Mm -hmm. 
So even if we do that dynamic breathing for two minutes, the effect is afterwards the body goes, hey, we were stressed, we fled the fear, now we can be calm and relaxed. Right. And then oh, that's that interesting. I haven't side, heard of that before. I love that. Well, it, it, well yeah, we're often it, it's the stress is a cycle, mm-hmm. but it's not being completed. And most of us are are just going stress, boom, stress, boom, stress, boom, but not actually getting out of it. So sometimes actual physical activity, something a little strenuous or shocking, like the cold shower. Mm-hmm can actually help us to get back into the rest. It closes that cycle a little bit. It it completes the cycle. Yeah. And when we do that, then there's less, I have to do breathing now. I have to meditate. It's just that it's, it becomes more natural. Right. That's amazing. I love that. Sorry, excuse me. Yes. <laughs> you go. No, it, it, yeah, it, 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 again, it's it's just more tools. Like yeah. mindfulness meditation is all about just using life skills. It's tools. It's it's little techniques that help us get out of our habitual way of thinking. That's right, and, and, and that's the part that gets me in trouble. It's the habits. It's the cycle. It's keep going, and you know, like, and and when you are aware and you notice, you just break out of it for a moment, and you notice something different. And you, you break the cycle, even if it's just once, you know, just once is good. Um, life, life isn't linear as well. So it's something we have to keep doing and keep learning. So it's not like you, you suddenly learn this stuff and that's it. You're fixed right. forever. That's nope. it. Nope. It, that's not <laughs> I because, meditated like, once. I'm good. Yay. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's something that when we, when life, which it will do, puts us under pressure mm-hmm. and we get tired and we, that's when, the more we do it when we're well, it's about staying in that space more than getting into the stressed. So that's right. right. It's not about my, a, ba- it's not about a bandaid fix. It's more exactly. of a practice. So you can, it's the root can, cause. Yeah. It's not the manifestation of the problem. It's right. actually where it causes. And in, in, in the first world, we now in the Western society, we primarily deal with the symptom of a problem and not mm-hmm. the cause. Mm-hmm. So so depression has gone up hugely. Uh, uh, antidepressants are being released. So the first thing to ask is, well, what's different than, say, 50 years ago when people seem to be happier? Mm-hmm. We go, okay, well, food is changing. Yep. We consume. Antibiotics has gone up massively. So mm-hmm. doctors are now saying that nearly 50% of antibiotics they, they prescribe aren't needed. Right, but the patients wants them, but with our microbiome. So, whether we're content or not can hugely be determined by what's in our our guts. That's right. So the vagus nerve going up nine times more information going to the brain than coming down from the brain, and the microbiome, say in uh, you know tribal communities, they could have maybe four thousand different bacteria working away there. But we're, we're eating processed food, sugar, on, on, on a lot of medication. If we're not replenishing that, we could have as low as maybe three or 400. That's crazy, yeah. And that can determine, like coffee is another one. Coffee causes a huge amount of anxiety. Um, 
that people don't realize. And even, even, even if you can drink a liter of coffee before you go to bed and you say, it doesn't affect me at all, it does. They're showing that if you're drinking coffee, it will reduce your deep sleep by about 20%. Right. So you're actually not as refreshed. So we can go into this crash boom cycle. Mm-hmm. And the dynamic breathing is brilliant. So when you, sometimes when we're feeling tired, we go, I need that boost, I need my coffee. If you do the chicken dynamic breathing, <laughs> you will get that burst of adrenaline. You will get that burst of, of feeling uh, elevated. And, and a reset. And you're reset and ready to go. Energetic reset. But it doesn't have the side effects. Right. And you can sleep at night. You know? So coffee's got a quarter life of 12 hours. So even if you drink a coffee at 12 o'clock in the day, if you're going to bed at 12 o'clock at night, you still have the equivalent of a quarter of a cup of coffee. That's so cool. I didn't so, know that. I didn't know that about coffee. I, I have two cups every morning oh, yeah. and that's it. And, and I'm done by 6 a.m. But um, Very good. I, and a lot of the research is saying if you're going to drink coffee, try and do it early in the morning so uh, by the time you're going to bed it's out of your system that's good to know because i have been tracking my deep sleep specifically just to see if i notice a difference during the day if i notice a difference with food or whatever i have Mm -hmm. at night Uh, again i try to stop eating by 6 7 p.m so I don't know. I've, I've been really playing a lot of, a lot with my deep sleep and noticing how, what affects it. And I've noticed that certain foods do, I mean, it's just been something I've been working on for the past year or so, just noticing that and trying to change it. But I didn't know the 12 hour thing with coffee, but that makes sense. <laughs> coffee is fascinating. There's a gene called CYP1A2. And that is what determines how fast we break down coffee. Yeah. So I noticed if I had a second shot, if I had the second coffee, my hands would shake. Yeah. I would literally be talking 90 miles an hour, very anxious, very uptight, very jittery. Yeah. And it turns out that you, you can slow or fast gene. So I obviously have a slow acting gene that breaks down coffee. So for somebody who has the fast acting gene, they have to drink four times the amount of coffee to have the same effect it has on me interesting so it just it, like the biological re- rationale for so much of what happens to us so when we can sleep and rest better but also rest during the day a couple right. of times so right. we don't go back exhausted uh refreshed exhausted refreshed the diet vital so if we can get more probiotics more varied foods into us lighter foods it mm-hmm. affects how we are moved directly. Like they're they're now working with uh, people with depression, and they're actually doing fetal transplants. Yes. So, oh, yes, I've heard of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's if you look in uh, the documentaries, uh, chimps and a lot of uh, the apes in Africa will actually feed their their babies some of their their excrements because it has so much rich bacteria in it mm-hmm. that's really healthy. Mm-hmm. So then they can digest and they can be much more content. Isn't that crazy? Uh, <laughs> such a crazy idea. I'm just... But yet when you understand what's actually yeah. happening, yeah, it makes, it makes total sense. sense. Yep. But when we're, when we're ignorant and we're all ignorant, like we all lack a lot of knowledge. I think yeah, we don't know until we know. And then when we know, we know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson had a great phrase that I love. And he goes, 
as the sphere of my knowledge ex uh, uh, increases, uh, sorry, yeah. as the sphere of my knowledge expands, the circumference of my ignorance increases. Yep. That makes perfect so sense. Mm -hmm. The more we learn about stuff, the more we realize how little we know. We, yep. That's beautiful. Thank, thankfully, because then we want to learn more. So we just keep learning. Yeah. But also it's okay not to know all the answers because no. we can't know it all. No, I think our head would explode yeah. if we actually knew everything. Yeah. Just but it's back to being, being good enough. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's, what's enough? Like a, there's a lovely visualization practice where you can do with people. So you, you, you get them to say, like, close your eyes. If you're, there's a, there's a, a therapy called um, solution-focused brief therapy. Mm -hmm. and in it, they have this magic question. So a lot of the time, we all have issues. We all have reasons to be angry or upset or stressed. And we can get focused on that. And we can end up talking about it constantly. But this miracle question saying, like, if your life was suddenly to change and tomorrow you were going to have the perfect day, what, what would that look like? What would it be like? Mm -hmm. You know, and a lot of the time it's, you know, I wake up where I don't have to do anything today. So I'm not I'm just going to stroll down. I'm going to grab a coffee or a cup of tea. I'm just going to sit, maybe listen to the birds in my yard for a few minutes. Or do some nice yoga touch. You know, not because I have to, but just because I want to. Mm -hmm. And then it might be, oh, I'd love to. I haven't been to the beach in ages. I'd love to walk on the beach with my feet in the water. Or, And when you go through most people's days, what they see is a really nice, relaxing, stress-free day. It's free. Yeah. It's usually the cost of a cup of tea, an ice cream maybe on the beach. You know, it's and maybe just the nice lunch somewhere. It's not complicated. And no. what we strive for, and the more we have, usually as 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 uh, was it Epictetus, I think, or. And Aquinas, the, the the Greek philosopher, would say that the the more the more power, the more things we want and accumulate, the more we need to have, and the more we need to have, the more we get caught up into that cycle of mm -hmm. just like it's a great way of going. Like, what what's a good day? What's a great day for you? And when you stop, and it's like I said at the beginning, like asking people. Is there something you could be doing to improve your life, but aren't? It's another tying into that going, what's your perfect day? And why don't you start tomorrow and see if you can even do a tiny bit of that day? Right. There doesn't seem to be a lot. Like you said, it doesn't cost almost anything to have a perfect day. Um, no, and then so why aren't you perfect. living your, per like, why aren't you trying that, doing that? It seems silly. And it's, again, it's just habitual. It's just we're, we're caught up in that cycle of thinking we should. Because remember, so much of the world now is driven economically. So it's buy more, buy more, have more, have more, have more. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the ads are, are telling us that. We're bombarded by advertisement to saying that we can't be happy unless we have. Mm -hmm. Which is not true. It's a complete and utter lie. I, I agree. I think we need less to be happy. I do anyways. As I've gotten older, I definitely want to get rid of material things, you know, purge the things I don't need. I don't need that. I haven't looked at that. Why do I have that? I just want to simplify. Well, another nice thing is if you actually stop and go like, what were really beautiful moments in your life? 
they're very seldom oh when i bought my fancy car no you know often they're a shared moment with somebody right connection human connection a connection a smile a smell from your that reminds you of your grandmother when she used to hug you or biscuits or mm-hmm. you know it can be the first time your child holds your finger like it's these are life we have and again back to the, the master and his emissary about the left and right brain stuff we're now focusing on the left brain so it's objects mm-hmm. but the thing about obje- objectivity is life isn't about objects life is about experience mm-hmm. you know you jump mm-hmm. out of an airplane do a parachute jump wow <laughs> extreme experience but you'll never forget that no that's right and once you close your eyes you can relive that so it's mm-hmm. never left you it's not right. gone right and it's just maybe learning to focus on the the things and you know what lovely is we can do it today by going smiling yeah so i smile at people and i talk i always ask them their names and i chat and i am always teased because i get discounts everywhere because people are like uh you know but it's just having a human every economic transaction can be changed to a human one that's right as a like Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the bus drivers, I chat away to them, you know, it's mm-hmm. lovely. And now, like, even even two days ago, I was walking towards the bus and the bus, there was a bus waiting at the bus stop and it waited for me just in case I needed to get on. Oh, because you talked to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And That's I can so start nice. with just, happy Friday and how are you doing? And by the way, what's your name? Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Liz. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's, I think it's back to... We hide, we, we're, we're trained to hide our true identities and we're, we put on these masks and faces. Mm-hmm. So there's another lovely story I use. Uh, may I tell you another story? Tell me another story. And then we'll remind okay. people how they can follow you and buy your book and everything. So go ahead, tell another story. I love okay. stories. Okay, so do you know the story of the broken pot? I think so. See, I don't what do I tell, tell it? Tell it, tell it. So there's... It's one of my favorite stories. So um, in India, there was a water bearer and every day she would go walk down the path to the river and she would have a pole on her on her shoulders and there would be a pot on each end. Mm-hmm. And she'd fill up the pots and she'd walk back to her mistress's house and she'd put the pots down. But one of the pots had a crack in it. And by the time she'd get back to her mistress's house, it was always only half full. Mm-hmm. So the crack pot used to feel really insecure and terrible and wasn't worth it and really just felt down that Mm -hmm. it'd look at the pristine pot that was always full, but it wasn't. And after after a long period of time, it managed to be able to communicate with the water bearer. And the pot said, please throw me away. Look at me, I'm useless. I've got Mm -hmm. a big crack, I'm, I'm, I'm leaking water. You know, the other pot is perfect. Look at it, it's full. And the, the, the water bearer smiled at the pot and said, okay, I understand. But tomorrow when we come back from the, the river, I want you to notice the path we walk along and oh, tell me what you yeah. notice. Yeah. So the water bearer goes down, she dips the pots into the water and she's walking back and she gets back to the house and puts the pots down and She says, well, what did you notice? And the pot said, well, it was beautiful. There was lots of flowers there and lots of insects and lots of life. 
but I still feel terrible. I know that's nice to look at, but I just, I'm useless. I'm, I'm not worth it. Mm-hmm. And she smiled and she said, but I know that you're flawed. There is, I planted seeds all the way along your side of the path, mm-hmm. knowing that you would leak the water and water them every day. Mm-hmm. And because of that, there's beauty on the path, there's beauty, this fragrance in my mistress's house and beautiful flowers because mm-hmm. of your flaw. And it's a lovely way to kind of one realize how compassion, when we can see, first and foremost, I've never met somebody who isn't flawed right. or who doesn't have vulnerabilities. Have you? No. <laughs> no. So we all have them, but yes, we're trained and we're conditioned to hide it, that it's, it's a problem. So what's really interesting, I, um, my sight diminished so much over the last two years that I had to get a guide dog. Mm-hmm. And like I have a black belt in Taekwondo. I've, you know, I did a lot of physical activity and I had my own identities. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I have to have this new identity that I am the broken pot. I have a flaw. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I have this guide dog I can't see. But what's incredible is in my new role as the, the wellness and community projects officer is that now that's what is a floor or a problem, say, in IT or other roles. In this role, it's fantastic because Absolutely. people aren't intimidated by me. So, like, say a lot of people wouldn't, where they would concern, oh, do I look all right, you know, or, you know, is my hair okay? Am I, you know, am I attractive or whatever, which we all strive to be. It's like, no, I don't have to be concerned with this guy. Like, he's, we're just here having a chat. Right. You know, and a lot of the a lot of the identities that people have, the masks they wear, they can put down. Mm-hmm. So they're, and it really hit home to me in a real way. Well, a lot of our vulnerabilities and our insecurities are usually when we're in positions that don't suit us. I agree. When we that don't feel natural. we don't feel those when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Exactly. Yeah. And when we can really feel a home in what we're doing, mm-hmm. and it's easy, we get into the flow state. It's it's just so natural. I agree. That's fabulous. So we should be doing what we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> and then we feel yeah, fabulous. Well, well, the Alan Watts would talk about saying you can have a choice if you want to cross a, a you know, a, a sea. You could try rowing it, but -hmm. all you're doing is forcing, forcing, struggling, 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 or you can throw up a sail and Mm -hmm. let the wind carry. Mm -hmm. And I think when we're, when we do mindfulness meditation, when we start getting into this area and we can start learning to realize how much of what we do, we think we should be. Mm-hmm. And when we can let that fall away, when we can drop our own masks, because we all have a secret life, a public life, and a private life. Mm-hmm. So our public life is is where what we show to the people on the outside, and our right. private life is what we show to our kind of family and friends. And our secret life is that we have, but we don't even we kind of shy away from even right. ourselves. We may not even know we have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. So, 
So it's just being comfortable with all that. So that's one of my favorite stories. I hope that you enjoyed that. Well, I've enjoyed all of your stories. I especially enjoyed your strategies and tips that you have shared with us because I think that again, if you one person tries one thing, then we've done our job here, right? Yes. And I love your story. And I'm so happy for you that you're becoming this new person um, and taking on this new role because in that role, you're helping so many as well. And I, and again, that's just my goal at the end of the day really is just to help as many people as I can. So I appreciate you being here and sharing your wisdom and knowledge. Um, and again, your stories and your strategies has been, it's been wonderful. I would Absolute like to pleasure. promote you one more time so people can go ahead to Amazon, you said, and buy your Mindful Spark, the Mindful Spark book. And yeah. it is uh, Retrain Your Past, Reset Your Future. Re- re- reclaim Your Past. Reclaim. Uh, I wrote Retrain. <laughs> no, re- reclaim Your Past, Reset Your Future. Reclaim, people. Reclaim. Yeah. So it's just often what our, our, our past is. It's something we create in our heads. It's not yeah. real. It's not true. Yeah. We add a lot of things to the stories of our past, yeah. including yeah. shame, guilt, fault, all of this stuff. When Huge. You, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, that, yeah. So that's Dave's book. Um, you can get that on Amazon, but also you can see him on YouTube. The Mindful Spark is the YouTube channel, correct? Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you want to promote or let people know about? No, just to say that certainly when we're starting off with anything new, it's difficult and it's challenging and it can be a bit scary mm-hmm. looking at our own, you know, our own fears and our own vulnerabilities. But once we do it, there's actually a lot less to be frightened of. We're usually yeah. more afraid of the action of doing it than what we find right right. and you know it's okay that none of us are perfect and it's about just being good enough and I think finding that stuff that you're talking about being uncomfortable to find is important to find you know uh, and I think mindfulness especially for me meditation has become a safe space for me to be able to learn more about myself and um, heal from some past stuff and, you know, just understand why I do things I, the way that I do them now, instead of just mindlessly yeah. doing them, I've become more aware of why I make decisions. And if those decisions aren't the best for me, then I understand that I can change that. So it's really helped me in that sense. Um, and understanding we, we who make, I am now, you know, we all make mistakes. Yeah. We have to learn the lovely thing about neurology is because our brain is rewiring all the time. Actually, even in our conversation now, what, you're not the same. The person, Liz, who started this is no longer exists. There are maybe new pathways that you're going, oh, that's interesting. I must look, look at that. And oh, I didn't know you could do this. And oh, I must yep. remember that. Yep. But the you in the past, where does that exist? I don't know. <laughs> But it's an interesting question because it is. I don't know where I am in the you, past because I'm here now and, and I don't, I definitely am different every moment and, of every day. That's for sure. Yeah. But you know what it is? It's our past is usually some thoughts with some emotions attached to them. Mm-hmm. And to leave you, I suppose, to, to me, this is really important that when we understand that things that affect us, particularly in our past that have hurt us, 
we have a thought and we have emotion that attach to it. And when we can be kinder to ourselves and when we can be compassionate and forgiving and know we all make mistakes and we also understand that happy people never try and hurt anybody else. Mm-hmm. And often when we've been hurt in the past, it's usually from other people hurting, hurting. And if we don't break the chain, pain that isn't transformed is transmitted. Mm-hmm. That when we can soften the emotion and the taught lessons, it's it's not as strong. And after right. a while, you can actually just let them go. Yep. So that's perfect. Thank you very much for this time. Great. It's been too long. And I hope that we'll get to chat again soon. That and would very, be wonderful. Very best of luck with your book. Thank you. And again, make sure you try to find um, Dave's book on Amazon. I would love for you to have a boost in sales. <laughs> My three listeners will buy your book. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, it, it was it was great experience to do. But well, thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you very much. And we'll be right back. And so we're back with Dave. We need to ask him our three questions. I forgot. And so I'm so happy I actually remembered. When you're ready, Dave, um, question number one, what are you doing yeah. when you feel most at peace? Oh, oh, look at I stumped him. Because a few times when I'm doing Tai Chi, yeah. it's like the Tai Chi is flowing through me. My mother is an opera singer, and she would say that when you're really doing it well, the song flows through you, that you get out of the way. Oh, that's awesome. And the Tai Chi is the same, that you nearly the form is, is happening, but you've got out of the way. You're not trying to do anything, and it just all happens. That's fabulous. But also, I, I love playing the guitar and it's a great tap into emotions and that you can go into a flow state. So I love that. And to answer your question, so many bloody things now that I'm so lucky. So playing with the dog, a big golden Labrador and he's just, but singing with my daughter is another thing. She's a singer. So that's so um, wonderful. Oh, that's so good. I love it. Yeah, a lot of it is creative though. Well, Tai Chi is really not creative, creative, but the guitar and singing and I like that. Yeah, okay. Just, it's a space. It's just not having, it's that place where I get out of my own way and don't have to force to do anything force. Yeah. Where I was used to forcing so much of my life where now it's just let it, let it happen. Okay. Thank you. Here's my second question. You ready? Um, mm-hmm. If you were to suggest one book for someone to read to help them, what's your favorite self-help type of book? I really liked Into the Magic Shop by James Doddy, who is a neurologist who now runs the Compassion Institute in Stanford University. I love that. Yeah, I'll have to look that one up. He has got he had got the biggest statement from the Dalai Lama ever. Mm -hmm. So for people who are just getting into the area, it's a beautiful, simple book about his life that just flows and uh, it's just more heartwarming um, and if you somebody wanted to actually understand more about I would probably say altered traits by uh, David um, or Richard Davidson and Daniel Goldman but that's okay. more about the science of it 
Whereas Into the Magic Shop is about just it's a lovely read, a feel good read. Well, that's a two, that's a really good balance of two books. Because I think the scientific part is important for some people to understand. So then they can uh, appreciate the, the magic of mindfulness. Yeah, like the, the, the Altered Traits book actually takes um, 60 of the most researched um, um, or studies into mindfulness and meditation that has been proven by other labs. Mm-hmm. So they can absolutely bring the science to it. And, and Richard Davison is a neurologist. Mm-hmm. And the Dalai Lama actually said to him, why do you only focus on the negative? Why do you not focus on the positive? And he actually changed his entire research. And he now mapped onto the brain that you can change your uh, mood regulation, outlook, self-awareness, social intuition, attention, and resilience, all mm-hmm. with meditation. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That's powerful. Wow. Okay, last question. Um, if money weren't an object, what would you be doing with your life? Well, I can answer that now because in the last two weeks, I'd be doing what I do now, except I'd be doing it for free. Can I tell you that that's almost everybody's answer? I love that. Yeah. that that's almost everybody's answer because we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, period. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'd, Not be doing for the money. Anyway. I'd be doing this anyway. Perfect. All right. Thank you, Dave, one more time. I just really appreciated talking to you and taking the time away from your your day to join me on this podcast. I'm sure that many people will um, benefit from your story, all of your stories, and especially the strategies that you shared with us. So once again, thank you. You're very welcome. Um, And everyone, thank you so much for joining. If you have any questions or comments or you didn't catch those books, um, or any of those strategies, you can reach out to me at talk to heal podcast at gmail.com. And I will be sure to respond. Uh, until next time, may you be happy, healthy, safe, and live a life that's filled with ease. Bye.